welcome to the Northwestern Masters of the Arts and Sports Administration Revenue Above Replacement Podcast. I'm Bryce Clinton. When many of us think of careers in sports, there are a few examples that come to mind. Athletic director, general manager, agent, all of which are great examples. However, if you peel back the layers of the sports industry, there's so many more roles in sports, or roles that tangentially touch sports, that don't immediately spring to mind. A question that Adam and I often get is what is the optimal path to these roles in the sports industry? The most difficult but encouraging answer to that question is there's many paths. And today's guest, Emilio Collins, is a perfect example of someone with a fascinating path within the sports industry. Emilio is a partner and chief business officer at Excel Sports Management, where he oversees all sales and marketing for Excel, including the agency's talent endorsement, property representation, and corporate consulting business. Emilio joined Excel after 15 years at the National Basketball Association, where he most recently served as Executive Vice President of Global Marketing Partnerships, overseeing the league's marketing partnerships business globally, including partner management, business development, marketing solutions, and media. From 2008 to 2010, Emilio served as a Senior Vice President of International Development, managing the development of the league's international business, including sponsorships, international games, and new league initiatives. Prior to joining the NBA, Emilio worked as a Director of Events Development at SFX Sports Group, where he built and managed the company's golf, consulting, hospitality, and tennis events business. Emilio graduated from Michigan State University, where he was a two-time NCAA Division I All-American wrestler. He also holds a master's degree in sports administration from Ohio University. It was such a pleasure to have Emilio on the show and so cool to see his path in the sports industry and beyond. So we hope you all enjoy Adam's interview with Emilio Collins. Adam Grossman. Happy to have Emilio Collins today here with us. Emilio, welcome to the program. Thank you, Adam. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, it's great to have you. So let's start out uh, with the first question, which we like to uh, ask all of our guests. Tell us a little bit about your career background to your, uh, today and how you got to your position at Excel. Absolutely. Well, let, let me um, maybe start out with a little bit of context on uh, my relationship with Adam. Um, you know, <laughs> We uh, at Excel have been you know, growing in a lot of different new areas of the business of the last few years. And we recognized a few years ago, one of the most important areas of opportunity was certainly in the data and analytics space. And we went out and spoke to a number of different firms, individuals, uh, looked at different ways to partner with people, looked at potential acquisitions, and ultimately landed on on Adam's business, which was Block Six Analytics at the time, and recognized um, a really strong proprietary methodology and approach to analytics that we thought could be incredibly helpful to um, not only our brand business but also our properties and talent businesses. And so, uh, just about a year and a half ago, we finalized that acquisition and brought. Adam and Block Six Analytics into what is now Excel Analytics, uh, and it's been a phenomenal partnership, uh, phenomenal integration into all sides of our business. And we've had a lot of fun together over the last year and a half, and certainly a lot more to come. So, a little context for the audience on on why I'm here and our relationship, <laughs> and uh, that the fun that Adam and I are having. But I'll get into that a little more of that a little bit later. Yeah, that's first of all, it's good to have a uh, context, and it's always good to kind of. Uh, talk about where where we've gone almost to a certain degree. And it's amazing. It's already been almost 18 months. But I think what we want to start, and like you said, we should get into that later, but we definitely yeah. want to start with you and your background sure. in particular. Uh, one of the things that we like 
particularly guests who have a collegiate athletic experience to talk about is the impact of their background in collegiate athletics, particularly as they've gone through their career in sports. And maybe we can start from there and yeah. as you work your way through your career. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I, for me, I'll start actually a little bit earlier. I started out playing soccer as my first sport. Um, that was really my introduction to sports. Um, my mother famously had to pull me onto the field, kicking and screaming. I had no interest in it when I was six years old. And then, of course, by the end of a two-hour practice, I was pretty hooked on it. Did that for six years before I found wrestling. And uh, also somewhat famously, at least in our family, I was pretty horrible at wrestling as I started <laughs> Uh, started in seventh grade. I think my freshman year out of 27, 28 matches, I think I won three of them, but those three were memorable and uh, <laughs> stuck with it. And, um, definitely, uh, got a lot out of that sport and started to, uh, perform a lot better my, my sophomore year and then much better my junior year. Unfortunately, I lost my mom to start of my junior year, um, which uh, was incredibly hard. I was uh, 15 going on 16. And to me, we think about the value of sports. Uh, sports very much you know, saved me at that time. Um, I was not a great student. I uh, didn't have a really strong father figure. I grew up in a single parent household, my mom, my sister, but I really uh, had a phenomenal coach and uh, latched onto that coach pretty dearly. And, uh, he really guided me through the rest of high school and was fortunate to turn it into a full scholarship to college. So, uh, for me, you know, participating in sports is everything and, uh, has absolutely been the foundation of my life foundation of my career and has, has led me to, you know, all the places I've been, uh, over the last 30 years. So went to Michigan state, wrestled at Michigan state, um, started doing athletic, uh, department internships in undergrad, uh, didn't initially really recognize career opportunities in sports. I think I thought I wanted to work in psychology when I started school and then being at a big 10 university, being uh, an athlete at a big 10 university just opens your eyes up to the realm of possibilities and interning in the athletic department was incredibly helpful. I ended up having a couple of uh, managers I worked for who had gone through the Ohio university graduate program. Uh, and so they turned me on to OU, um, which, you know, some may know is the first graduate program for sports administration and management in the country. So a very strong alumni network. So I decided to go straight from undergrad into grad school because I, I, I knew at that time I wanted to work in sports, but I wasn't quite sure exactly what I wanted to do. And I thought it would give me a lot of experience and learnings across all sides of the industry, which is exactly what it did. Um and when I was in grad school, I, I think is when I, I really had one of my first kind of key lessons in the industry. And um, that was uh, finding every opportunity to really exert influence and to embrace sales. Um, we were charged with staging a class project um, that, had, that had really become sort of the hallmark of the program for many years. And there was an opportunity to transition the old class event to a new one. And my classmates wanted to bring in WWE and have them stage a professional wrestling event. Of course, as the true wrestler in the room, I couldn't have that. But more importantly, I just felt like it was a little bit of a cop out where our class wouldn't really get a chance to do the true work. It would be, you know, this big production coming into town and uh, we would have a 
much lesser roles. So I, anyway, I, I pitched the class a crazy idea. It was sort of a combination of a sumo wrestling event and a mudslinging competition. Um, and we actually called it Friday Night Mud Slam. It was hilarious, but kind of perfect for fraternities and sororities. The whole school seemingly got into it. We packed the arena and it was a phenomenal success. And it was fun to go through that process because um, we were uh, just about to actually sign on with WWE. And I I just got the whole class together and, and I said, I think I have a better idea. And I presented that concept to the class and everyone just loved it. And it was incredibly rewarding experience to just come up with a concept, come up with an idea, sell that into people and then see that through. And that's always a memory that, that stuck with me when you have real conviction in your ideas, as crazy and wacky as some of them may be, just find ways to really sell those through and persuade and influence other people. Um, so I started out my career coming out of grad school in events, um, building on that experience and uh, worked in an agency for five years, smaller agency that then got acquired by a bigger agency, uh, ultimately uh, formed SFX Sports Group, um, which, which Adam actually knows, who's David Falk, was our chairman for some time, uh, who's a good friend of Adam's. And uh, and then in 2001, I went to the NBA. I, during my time working in events, I enjoyed the event management, the planning process, but I started to increasingly get more attached to revenue and to the brands who were funding uh, the events. And so the more I started working with brands, I got more involved in sales and account management. And so I took a job at the NBA as um, as a uh, account director uh, in 2001. And, uh, and it was a great experience. You know, the NBA spent ultimately 15 years there. I probably had six or seven different roles, mostly all in sponsorship. Um, and I always remember my, my first day at the league um, because it was a place where I knew it was a hard charging environment, a lot of smart people. I knew I would learn a lot. And I just recognized early on that the way to really maximize my time there would be to be incredibly curious. And um, I think that was very critical toward my growth of the league. So my first day I was assigned with a Reebok partnership. Reebok had just signed a league-wide deal outfitting all of the teams, a league-wide global marketing, marketing partnership. And uh, I was responsible for overseeing that relationship. So I was handed a 140-page contract. I read it all my first day. I highlighted all the things I didn't understand. And then the second day, I sat with the lawyer and had him explain it all to me. And when I speak to the level of curiosity, it goes beyond what are the deliverables I'm responsible for, making sure are implemented the right way in the partnership it's everything and anything it's the legal language it's indemnification it's structure of the grant of license it's understanding the dynamics of the player association um it's anything and everything you should always be incredibly curious as to the structure of agreements um because you can learn a lot about the right structure of business deals and um, it just gives you the full big picture now some may know the NBA famously is known as uh, nothing but attorneys. Uh, we did have a lot of attorneys at the NBA, and um, that was a really strong foundational experience for me. And I feel like um, I remember at a time I, I, I thought I wanted to go to law school, um, but short of that, the NBA was a great uh, learning experience from a legal standpoint.
so ended up growing in roles and responsibilities there over time. Uh, I think one of the things I, I really learned there was from a partnership and sponsorship perspective, just the importance of, of listening and, and solving problems for brands. Um, another account I was given early on in my career there was McDonald's and McDonald's had been with league for a long time, but the partnership had really somewhat run its course and, um, the league's business changed a lot. McDonald's business significantly changed. And I think they were really looking for, as we were headed into another renewal, um, a lot more creative ways to solve their new problems. And so I remember going out to Chicago to meet with their head of sports marketing and just to frankly listen and to hear all that was going on with their business, all their challenges, all the reasons why at the time he felt it wouldn't make sense to continue this at that point, probably 20, 20 year long relationship. And, um, and I just said at the end, I said, Hey, like I, I've heard you, here's what I've heard. Um, here's what it sounds like you need. Let me take a shot with our team to come up with some solutions, some ideas to see if we can think about this from a different angle. And a few weeks later, you came back in and all we did is go through, I don't know, probably 20 plus different ideas. Um, didn't talk about structure, frameworks, certainly didn't talk about money, just talked about ways to help solve their problems. And uh, at the end of the meeting, um, a guy by the name of John Lewicki, uh, my longtime friends and clients, who's now actually at the NHL, I'll never forget where he just said, um, thank you. Uh, he uh, And this is a guy who self-admittedly is a highly pessimistic individual <laughs> in business yeah. and is known as being a little bit of a negative Nelly. Yep. Um, but he was incredibly <laughs> appreciative, just thanked us profusely. And you know, a few months later, that ended up being a, a strong renewal for uh, for the partnership. Um, and that continued for, for many years thereafter. So good, good, uh, lesson in just really listening and making sure that when you think about the sponsorship business, that you're always grounded in, how are we solving problems? How are we allowing our clients to do their jobs better and to make them look good? Um, I spent a good amount of time on uh, the international business as well. Uh, for a few years, I was doing all international business development, spending a good amount of, uh, of time in China, Europe. Um, I was managing the Latin America business for a little while and opened our office in India in 2008. Um, so those were fun years where you know, partnerships were driving a lot of the international growth. And so I had kind of dual role in managing and building partnerships and using that to really uh, drive all lines for our business, especially in, in new markets. Um, I would say, you know, one of the most challenging uh, times of my career would probably definitely be the 2012 NBA lockout um, where, you know, we were shut down for I think 149 days and, um, that's where it was really important to make sure we all as a team double down on the time we were spending with our clients, you know, reinforce the value of relationships. And, um, I was always very proud. We were very proud of the fact that we got out of the lockout without losing one partner. Um, but just finding ways to be creative again, going back to listening and repurposing value in other ways across the organization. Uh, I think it's also a good lesson in setting parameters and negotiations. 
and being really clear at the outset what you will or won't accept. And we were very clear at the outset in a nice way that we're not able to give any money back, um, but we are more than happy to have conversation around value. And, and ultimately partners respected that and appreciated that we were setting that framework in order to have the most leverage in helping to get a deal done with the players in the least amount of time. Um, and so it was a way of letting those partners effectively kind of support us and reaching closure to a lockout sooner than later. Um, I'd say another important lesson during that time was um, one that Adam knows very well, uh, time kills deals. Uh, when you have momentum in any conversation, uh, you got to see it through. You never know what can happen when uh, a macro um, environmental issue or economic issue occurs, when acquisitions occur, when people leave jobs suddenly, whatever it may be, uh, when you have momentum in any deals, you got to move that along. We were in the midst of a renewal with T-Mobile, who was probably our most successful partner uh, at the time, most active partner, um, did a phenomenal job just activating the league relationship, creating league promotions, um, engaging with fans. And we were at by far, you know, the not, not just the 11th hour, we were down to literally, I think, two or three final points um, on the contract of that renewal. And it was a Friday night in our office, our general counsel, and we had just gotten through them and resolved it on a call at about eight o'clock at night. And uh, I remember we were all kind of high-fiving the room, the deal got done. And then uh, we were planning on exchanging drafts over the weekend, final drafts over the weekend. And then Sunday morning, it was announced that um, uh, that T-Mobile and AT&T were gonna merge and uh, everything was off. So, um, literally blew up the entire deal. Uh, we ended up going a different direction months later and, and coming back with Sprint. Um, but it uh, just shows you anything can happen at any time and you got to make sure you leverage the momentum and opportunities you have to really close things quickly. I think we did that really well in China, uh, where I can remember being a part of so many negotiations in China that would just literally continue on and on and on until it was done. I can remember some... 10, 14, 18 hour negotiations in China where you would just be worn out, but it's frankly a lot more efficient and easier to just work through it and get a contract done than to have it go back and forth across the globe for weeks or months uh, when you just don't know what can happen during that time span. Um, so uh, after about 15 years, uh, I would say, Probably around 10 years, I started to feel a little bit of an itch to do something else. Um, and then around that time is when David Stern uh, stepped down, Adam took over, and a few of us got elevated. And I took over the global partnerships team. Uh, and so we had a lot of fun over the next four or five years, uh, continuing to build that business. And then when I hit my 15-year mark in uh, late 2016, it felt like a a really good time for me to uh, think more intently about what I want to do next. And I think literally just a few days after that moment, I, I ran into Jeff Schwartz, who's the founder of Excel. And he and I had become friends from our you know, overlapping business interests in basketball. Jeff's the top NBA agent in the business. 
And uh, we just got to talking and it was the right time for Excel as Excel was going through some new phases of growth, uh, having just diversified uh, the talent business beyond basketball and starting to see a lot more opportunities in the corporate side of the business. Uh, and great and great timing, certainly for me, uh, being ready for a new challenge as well. So, uh, so I came over in 2017, I think just after All Star, so almost six years ago now, and um, and it's been a blast since. Um, and I'll, I'm happy to pause there, Adam, to any the questions on background before we go into anything specific to Excel. Yeah, I think um, a couple of things that emerged and a couple of themes that emerged and things that you may want to talk about, even in the context of, the set of Excel is one, you took a pretty early emphasis on sales. And I think that's a lot of things that are one of the things I try to emphasize in my classes and we try to emphasize on this podcast. You know, sales can mean different things to different people, but focused on sales. So how did that kind of lens on sales impact you throughout your career and help you develop both prior to Excel and on your way to Excel? Yeah, you know, again, I think that that early experience in grad school just taught me the importance of ensuring that you always have, to a degree, a sales-minded approach or transactional approach. Um, I think it also relates to my background as a competitive athlete. Um, I was always very goal-oriented. Um, and I, I learned early on in high school just to set goals really high and to have a plan to achieve them. And I think there's a lot of crossover and relation between the two where, you know, if you're really aggressive in, in what you want to accomplish and you're in a, in a business that uh, requires a lot of strong partnerships and transactions to get there, you know, you're going to do all you can to uh, reinforce the value of sales and, and business building in everything that you do. So uh, for me, you know, I actually started out in more of an account management role in the league, um, but I had many opportunities just through relationships with new, with other brands or through upsells or renewals to really participate in a lot of uh, new business uh, sales, as well as um, just expansion and growth of existing partnerships. And it was always fun to be um, really aggressive in, in how we think about those and how big we can build the business and, um, and try to really do all we can to exceed that. And so you know, at the league, uh, we had probably about, at the time I left, probably about 80 marketing partnerships around the world that we spent time on. Uh, various scopes and sizes. Um, and now at Excel, you know, we do about um, 11, 1200 transactions a year of various kinds across our talent business, properties business, our brand businesses. Um, so it's a high volume business and and one that uh, you know, is moving incredibly quickly and uh, embracing sales in every aspect of that and making sure we have the right resources against sales. We have the right ideas. We have the right solutions. Um, we have the ability to, to be efficient in our sales process is all just very critical toward our success. Yeah, actually, you and I were talking about somewhat about that today. So we, we'll go into more detail here, but we were certainly talking about those elements today. And one of the other things, uh, just to go back in time for the career, is one thing that you mentioned that I thought was really interesting is about listening, reading. You know, you mentioned how the MBA is, you know, which I've heard before, nothing but attorneys, which is very funny and also probably pretty true to a certain degree. But um, 
You had previously spoken to a larger group of Excel employees in this context around David Stern. So maybe you could talk a little bit about your relationship, particularly in the context of listening, reading, trying to figure, find out as much information as possible, and then kind of how that also has impacted your career as well. Yeah, it's a great question. Uh, David was uh, the most brilliant mind I ever uh, worked around. He um, was incredibly omniscient. Uh, and the hardest working man in the room, uh, the smartest man in the room, the most charismatic man in the room, uh, real legend in the business, um, and uh, and still uh, sorely missed to this day, for sure. Um, you know, I, I think a few lessons from him, you know, one is just knowledge is power. Um, he would famously read everything you could possibly read before 8 a.m. And uh, he really grilled that in, in all of us uh, to ensure that uh, you are constantly researching, reading, consuming information that can help you be more effective in your job. Um, and not just as it relates to finding opportunities, but just more as it relates to continuing to be more and more intelligent in your role in order to figure out how to really frame growth the right way. Um, and so, you know, a couple of examples, you know, he, during the playoffs every year, he would um, take the jet to every uh, NBA market uh, and make sure he visited every arena during the playoffs. And he would always bring different employees and you never knew when you're going to get the call and you usually get the call either that day or the night before. And so when someone did get that call from his office, uh, they'd always scramble and they knew they were going to get asked every question under the sun about their role. And uh, it was an opportunity to really um, make sure you were incredibly prepared. So uh, there was a, a colleague of mine who joined David in uh, Detroit for a playoff game once. And, uh, I remember him relaying the story back to me when he got back, he was sitting next to David in the arena and they were looking around and the most prominent sign in the arena was a superstore in the Midwest called Meyer. And, uh, and my colleague hadn't spent much time in the Midwest, uh, I think grew up in the East coast. And so wasn't familiar with the brand. And David asked, my colleague, this company Meyer, they seem to be everywhere. Do you know much about them? And my colleague, unfortunately, said he did not, but he assured David that he would do all he can to research them tonight <laughs> and get back to him tomorrow. Um, and so, you know, David would always have you feeling like you should be doing more. You should be going the extra mile. You should be you know, looking around the corner more for opportunities, you should be constantly thinking about how to get to the next level and get better. And he just had an incredibly, um, you know, just charismatic way in, in how he went about it. Um, you know, another story was when uh, he was traveling in Europe between international games. And uh, this one I was actually there for with a colleague of mine who was running international television distribution for our Europe region. And I remember the discussion so vividly 
when he was grilling my colleague on the number of households the NBA is broadcast in within Spain, within France, within Germany, within the UK, on and on and on. And how my colleague was so incredibly well-prepared and had the spot-on answer for each one. And it just shows you the importance of preparation, right? He's not hes not just um, you know grilling him for the sake of grilling him. He wants to make sure that uh, my colleague was mastering his business and knew exactly what the opportunity is, right? If we, if there's 20 million households in a certain country and we're only broadcasting 10, how are we going to close that gap? And it's all about how do we maximize the opportunity, maximize our reach and impact. And if you're not thinking macro from an opportunity perspective in terms of the size of the prize or to use more modern tech speak, the TAM, you know, <laughs> available market of the opportunity, yeah. then you're not really thinking holistically about growth the right way. And so David was always really good at keeping our eyes on the TAM. And same with sponsorship deals, you know, whenever a deal would be presented, as good as we may think it may be, he'd ask right away, you know, what are the other players in the category doing? What does the NFL get in this category? What does XYZ property get in this category? What's the total size of the category? You know, what, what share of spending would we be getting from a sponsorship perspective? And I think it's a really healthy way to think about our business opportunities. You know, we, we all, I think are, you know, oriented around how are we growing the foundation of our business? And so we can all say, we're happy about, you know, double digit growth that we're experiencing year over year, but contextually that can mean nothing. What is the base we're coming from and what size business should we have if we were really clicking on all cylinders? And uh, so David was really good at having the entire management team really think that way. Yeah, and I guess it's this is probably a good time to transition into Excel because a lot of you know talking about a business that's growing and grow, what growth means and it's grown a lot since you've been involved. So, for our listeners who may not know what Excel is, at least from its roots, can you give a little bit of a history of what Excel is and how it's evolved, particularly over the last you know eighteen to twenty four months? Sure. Yeah. So we're uh, twenty years old. Started as a basketball agency uh, under Jeff. We were all basketball player management uh, for the first 10 years. Um, and then a couple of other partners came over. Casey Close came over to build a baseball business, starting with Derek Jeter. Mark Steinberg came over to build a golf business, uh, starting with Tiger. Uh, obviously, great uh, A-level talent to start businesses from. Uh, those divisions you know, flourished uh, over the years to come. And you know, now we are, you know, one of the leading practices in those three sports. Um, another uh, partner of mine, Alan Zucker, came over a couple of years after that and built out a talent marketing function. We do um, a lot of football marketing business in particular, uh, representing a, a number of prominent NFL quarterbacks. I mean, so our talent business uh, became pretty mature, mature the first, um, you know, 10 to, to 15 years. Um, and of course, all of that opened up a lot of opportunity to build out other verticals. And so, you know, we've gone from kind of you know, three core divisions initially in basketball, baseball, and golf uh, to now about 15 
functional areas uh, across the agency today. And our business is oriented around you know, three main verticals, you know, our talent representation business, our brand services, and our property services. And uh, today we're in about 250 employees across seven offices uh, in LA, New York, uh, two offices in New York, actually Chicago, uh, Dallas, Miami, and London. And um, uh, the key to all of our growth is just real integration, meaningful integration. You know, we have made four acquisitions uh, in the last couple of years. Uh, the rest of our growth has all been through just organic business building. Um, and whether it's you know our new key organic hires or it's acquisitions we're making, we always want to make sure that. A, it's people first and culture first, that it's a real strong fit there. And B, that we see ways in which that new vertical can really integrate across multiple sides of the business and not be its own standalone entity. Um, we are never trying to be a holding company. We are trying to make sure that we are always singularly focused on being you know, the best sports marketing agency in the world in order to do that really well. Connectivity integration is incredibly important toward everything that we do. Can you talk about almost a little bit about your personal evolution? Obviously, you came from a properties background. I know you'd work at agency and events, but now under your purview is you know brand marketing, consulting, talent, all these different views, all these different perspectives. Can you talk about how that you know how that evolution has gone for you personally as you've kind of dealt with these new challenges not that you didn't have experience before yeah. but now it's more directly uh in, in your day-to-day -day. sure yeah I, I think um as i i'd say probably my last five or six years at the nba what i enjoyed and embraced mo most was um building a team managing a, a high functioning high performing global team and growing businesses and finding opportunities to grow in new areas, whether it's new regions, new categories, new assets we develop. Um, you know, I think the challenge working at any property is there's only so many different ways you can do it. You're still selling, in my case, basketball. You're still selling the property of the NBA. Uh, and so it's been fun to be on the other side where as I mentioned, just from a transactional standpoint, the number of deals that we do, there's so many different offerings and it allows us to be incredibly consultative with the brands that we're speaking with. We have, you know, a significant number of properties and rights holders that we represent. We can always lead with those opportunities. Uh, we can offer, you know, a wide array of opportunities across talent. Um, and if, Brands aren't quite sure what they want to do, or they feel like their plate is full. You know, we have a variety of brand marketing services that can help them really navigate, activate, measure their existing investments um, and create the right strategic framework to grow those investments. So it just allows us to be a lot more um, consultative and solution oriented. Uh, and for me, you know, I, I think it was a perfect transition from where I was, where it allows me to still stay very close to sales and, and business growth. Um, frankly, stay very close to the MBA. We have last count, you know, five different um, areas of business with the MBA across multiple verticals from representing players to advising brands in the space, to representing teams, to executive search, 
to um, our game seven business. A lot of does a lot of NBA activation work. Uh, so uh, staying close to the NBA and that connection has been fun, um, but also be able to have, you know, so many other broader experiences with our talent endorsements, with um, multiple new sports um, that we're in. Uh, so it, it's fun to wear a number of different hats, but I think at its core, my foundational experience in, in sales and business building and management um, is, you know, what is most critical to my day-to-day work now. And one other question um, kind of in that vein is about, you know, M&A activity. You know, like you said, Excel has grown both organically, but also through acquisition. And that's, you know, obviously was, is a new kind of area of growth for the company. Can you talk about a little bit how your background experience that you just described kind of influences your thought process uh, and Excel's thought process, I guess, from an M&A perspective? Yeah, you know, I I think when you, you know, work at great businesses, um, it, allows you to really have a strong filter on who's good and who's not out there. And in the M&A space, it is a numbers game. You've got to look at a lot of businesses. You got to have a very clear filter in what you want, what you need. Um, And it's really important to stay true to that. And whether you're your parameters are, you know, economics, culture, people, skill set, making sure that you really have those established clearly at the outset will allow you to just be very disciplined in the process. And uh, we probably looked at at least a hundred companies before we bought Adam's company as our first acquisition. Uh, And, you know, that was just the process of just being incredibly disciplined, recognizing that we have a phenomenal business and, uh, we don't need to do anything um, and only makes sense to do something where it's going to truly be additive uh, again across not just one vertical, but multiple verticals. And two final questions as we get towards the uh, end of the time here. Uh, one, you mentioned this in the context of your MBA experience, but macroeconomic and mat- economic factors or macro factors that are impacting kind of the global environment. You know, you've had to deal with COVID and now obviously there could be an economic downturn. You mentioned your experience with the NBA lockout, but how do you see that now in terms of now that you're in a different, obviously you're not with the NBA or with Excel, how have you been able to navigate the kind of the waters with COVID and whatever kind of lessons learned from the business that either impact Excel or the sports industry more generally, uh, particularly as given the uh, changing macro uh, economic or macro environmental conditions? Yeah, I mean, I mentioned the lockout as probably uh, the most challenging time of my career, although I guess the obvious one is certainly 2020, where <laughs> for for anyone um, yeah. in our industry, in our world, certainly was uh, not fun, not pleasant. Uh, look, I, I think for us, uh, during that time, we had to find ways to be uh, even more connected as a team, even more cohesive, and to ensure that we were pivoting various business opportunities, certainly on the talent side of our business with uh, basketball and baseball seasons being suspended. Uh, there was certainly a, a hit in revenue there. And we ended up finding ways to be more creative on the marketing side. And thankfully, brands were very open to um, 
looking at creative solutions to continue to be relevant in front of fans during such a difficult time. And so that certainly benefited our brand marketing business. It actually even benefited our talent endorsement business since our, our players had a little more time on their hands uh, and properties spent a lot of time gearing up as well for kind of the other side of COVID. So we ended up actually having uh, a better year than we even originally planned for on the marketing side during COVID. Um, and the last couple of years since it's, it's only, only grown further. Um, I, I think, you know, during any crisis such as that, uh, communication is the most important thing. We certainly implemented a number of new processes and systems and weekly or daily calls, um, just to make sure we we're all talking and not meeting just for meeting's sake, but ensuring that, you know, everyone could share relevant updates and think about it through the lens of how can we pivot from something we thought was maybe a short source of revenue to here's a new opportunity. Here's what we're seeing in the marketplace. Here's what brands are telling us. Here's what properties need. Um, and so we ended up really seeing more growth than I think we've ever experienced coming out of COVID. Uh, by just being really smart and intentional about using our team and having our team really think about ways in which we can pivot our business. I mean, one of one example I can give of that is we actually did an exercise uh, across the company right in the kind of heart of COVID, asking everyone to think about a new business opportunity that we have not entered into yet. And there are a number of great ideas across you know, various sectors of the business. Um, I would say two that probably emerged to the top. One was investing more in content, original content development and programming. And another was um, looking at executive search. And now, you know, two, three years later, you know, we're very much in both of those businesses. And a lot of that really came as a result of the time we spent focusing on, on growth and opportunities during COVID. Yeah, that's really interesting. And maybe we'll have to have you back on, maybe go into that in more detail. But uh, we'll ask you one final question, which is the same question we ask all of our guests is, you know, we have a lot of students who listen to the podcast who are looking to enter or progress in the sports industry. So from your perspective, what are you looking for when you're hiring somebody for a role or looking to add somebody to your team, either at a junior or more senior level? Kind of what are some qualities that stand out to you that our students should be thinking about as they're looking to, you know, start in their career or progress in their career? the industry yeah i'll start with the easiest stuff um you just you got to be really personable you gotta um you just gotta show a personality this is very much a people business um you've got to be someone people are going to enjoy um working with and be able to simply smile connect with people uh, part of being able to connect with people is do your research. You should never get on a call with anyone without having checked out their background, which at a minimum is looking at their LinkedIn. But oftentimes you can find interviews with people. You can look at their social media. You can really find a lot out about a person that can automatically allow you to establish a baseline connection that's going to really put you a step ahead. Um, so finding ways to just relate and connect to people and show your personality is critically important, especially when you don't have as much experience to rely upon. Um, secondly, I think when you get into a role, uh, first of all, just embrace every opportunity to get into roles. It, it doesn't matter 
really all that much what your early experience is. You just got to get a lot of experience. My first internship coming out of grad school was, you know, doing event operations for a hot air balloon festival. Like, <laughs> it's not exactly applicable to where I am now. Um, but it's it's great experience. You just got to work that to death and leverage it to something else. And so whatever opportunity you're given, whether it's, you know, as random as the role I had or uh, or another type of position, you have to just make sure that you're thinking about every possible way to add value in that role. And the way I love to, to frame it for interns is make sure that your goal uh, during the term of your experience is to be impressive. And it's really that simple. You know, if, if you can be someone who, when you leave that position, the manager says, that person was impressive, you're going to go a long way. That person's going to vouch for you. That person is going to recommend you for roles uh you're going to not only have been impressive to that person but undoubtedly to others as well and it's going to uh, allow you to really launch your career and give you a lot more uh, options and opportunities how you do that is a number of ways you add value as i mentioned um, you make sure that you're always thinking day to day not just around what's being asked of you, but how can you go above and beyond? How can you provide a voice, perspective, and opinion uh, that maybe wasn't even solicited, that shows that you're thinking proactively, that you have ideas? Um, and going above and beyond is an absolute now. Our industry is so competitive that you've got to find ways to stand out. If someone asks you to take something from here to there, you've got to be able to go much further beyond. Think about the big picture of why that request is being made of you and what role that request plays within the macro goals of the organization and see how you can add value to those macro goals, not just the individual task being asked of you. And then another way you can do that incredibly well is also, as we talked about earlier, in the discussion, embrace sales and find all those opportunities to be a part of the sales process. It will allow you to get incredible experience influencing, persuading, convincing others toward a point of view. The more persuasive and influential you can be, the more it will lead to a number of opportunities for you to grow your career. And that does not mean that you have to end up in a career of transactional sales, no matter what you do you are going to have to be able to exhibit that trait to be successful. Um, so uh, those are things I think are just really critical for people at the outset of their careers. That's that's really good advice, really good place to leave it. We know you're very busy, so we want to thank you for the time. I think it was a very valuable conversation. I know our audience will learn a lot uh, from hearing more about your experience. Like I said, I think there are a lot, a lot more we would want to cover, so hopefully we can have you back on as a guest. But thank you for the time, and uh, thanks for being on the Revenue Bubble Replacement Podcast. All right. Thanks, Adam.